Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crush with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And welcome to our second of eight division by division recaps of the 2021 NFL Draft. Today's stop, the AFC West. Did the Broncos, Chargers, and Raiders do enough in the draft to give them a fighting chance to beat the Chiefs in a game or even contend for division title in 2021? Joining us to answer that question and a whole lot more is Lance Sanderson of MileHighHuddle.com, a fantastic, no-nonsense, non-homerish, at least most of the time, website for Broncos fans. Two of the talented writers on that platform, Nick Kendall and Carl Dumler, have been regulars on our program, and it's a pleasure to welcome Lance to the show for the very first time. How you doing, Lance? Good, Dave. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show with you, man. I'm really f- looking forward to doing this and, and talking some football with you for the first time. So uh, I appreciate you for having me on, man. I, I, I love the opportunity. Love the opportunity to have you on as well. And let's start out with the team that you cover and you root for. And one of the two teams I root for, personally, the Denver Broncos. And when you look at the Broncos draft, it was actually pretty damn good on paper. But the one thing that is going to leave a black eye on this draft Uh, at least this year and maybe for the long run, and the same goes for the two teams picking before them, in my opinion, is passing on Justin Fields. And in that move that will be scrutinized indefinitely, the Broncos, like the Panthers and Lions, as I said before them, decided to pass on Justin Fields and instead use their first-round pick on Alabama cornerback Patrick Sertan II. Despite that metaphorical black eye that could result from this decision, as I alluded to, Sertan is a high-floor, high-ceiling prospect. Based on the numbers that he put up at his pro day, he profiles very similarly to Derwin James, of all people, athletically. Just how high is Pat Sertan's ceiling? You know, it's it, he is a very high floor, high ceiling kind of a guy, and quite honestly, he could turn into a, a, a high level shutdown, lockdown cornerback that you just throw on an island out on one side of the field and say that shut down this side of the field. Or in Vic Fangio's scheme for this uh, particular, I mean, he's a matchup based kind of a guy, so uh, they they want to play him in the slot, they want to play him on the boundary. He has some safety versatility as well. And as you said, with the with his athletic profile, I mean, it's eighty six point three percent comparable to Derwin James when he was coming out of Florida State a few years ago. So with Sertan, they might actually be able to use him as that that Travis Kelsey killer that everyone's been trying to find for the Broncos for, oh, you know, the last, what, decade at least, maybe even longer than that, going back to like Al Wilson or, and DJ Williams, you know. So with Sertan having that high coverage versatility and being able to, to lock down some bigger athletic players, I mean, he's, he's what, 6'2", 6'3", 205, um, pretty fluid. I, I don't necessarily think he has the best fluidity um, to play off the off the ball in zone, but I mean, if you're going to press him and get him on the line of scrimmage, he can, he can fit pretty well so I mean that ceiling for him is it's not necessarily limitless but it's it's definitely incredibly high I think that he can be uh, potentially a top five safety I mean or a, a top five uh, cornerback a top five coverage player in this in this league um he has those NFL bloodlines I mean he is uh, Patrick Sertan Jr. I mean Patrick Sertan played for I mean what 12 years 13 yep. years in the NFL so I mean he's and those those bloodlines they shine through in his play I mean he he's got the swag he's got the 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 calm demeanor about him and I mean he's just he's one of those guys that can go out there and and take your best your best receiver and completely lock him down so I love the pick in a vacuum but man it's really hard pill to swallow to to see a a franchise quarterback and a quarterback that I had as the top quarterback in the draft I mean even over Trevor Lawrence so uh to to see the Broncos with that big need at the quarterback position pass up on my guy and and Justin Fields to go with Pat Sertan, who I didn't think was the greatest fit, it is a little bit disappointing. But at the same time, I mean, the Broncos got a high-quality player here, and if Vic Fangio signs off on him being being the guy that they want as, as the uh, as the their cornerback of the future, uh, their coverage player of the future, then you know what? I'll sign off on it as well. 
I feel the pain of you as a Broncos fan, but uh, as a Bears fan, I'm quite thrilled that they uh, got uh, Justin Fields, but that's for another program. And But let's uh, take a look at this Broncos uh, corner room right now. It's pretty crowded. You got Bryce Callahan, albeit in the last year of a three-year deal, Kyle Fuller, just on a one-year deal, and Ronald Darby, but on a three-year deal. And yesterday, Vic Fangio said he plans to try Sertan out on the boundary and in the slot. As you suggested, he could play both of those spots. Do you think Patrick Sertan starts week one? And if so, at which spot? Well, Vic Fangio also said something else in that press conference about how uh, teams are playing more five and six defensive backs on a, I mean, it's like 70% teams are playing with, with the, in the nickel with five defensive backs on the field. So whether he's the, the starting boundary corner, the starting slot corner, it doesn't necessarily matter. He, he's going to be playing starters reps. I mean, 70% of the time he's probably going to be on the field. So uh, to me, it's, it's just, where do you, where do you line him up? And I, I, I kind of think that they're going to uh, put Callahan back in, into the uh, back into the slot where he belongs. Um, you'll see obviously Fuller and Darby the most it would be at least in my opinion and they'll probably rotate uh, Callahan and Darby in the slot more than anything and then put uh, Sertan out on out on the boundary but him having that versatility it doesn't necessarily matter if you can want to call him a starter or not he's going to be playing a lot anyways so that's that's to me is just the the best way to answer that question is uh, just because he's not in the starting lineup doesn't mean he's not going to play starter snaps. Uh, yeah, in the NFL today, uh, essentially your nickel corner is a de facto starter, and as Vic Fiaggio alluded to, maybe even your fourth corner is a starter these days. Yep, it's uh, it's it, like I said. I mean, teams are playing in the nickel; they're playing with five and six defensive backs all the time. So if you you better have three or four or five different guys that are that have that coverage versatility. And like you said, I mean, Bryce Callahan, one year deal. We'll see how he comes back from that uh, from that ankle injury. Uh, Kyle Fuller on the one year deal. He fit. I mean, everybody knows what Kyle Fuller did with with the Chicago Bears and Vic Fangio a few Indeed. years ago. I mean, he had what seven or eight interceptions or something yes, like that. Is the best the best year of his career. And uh, so for for him to be a part of this this uh, the secondary that also features, I mean, forget just the cornerback depth for a second here. The Broncos did well enough to go out and they, they extended Justin Simmons on the, on the highest paid safety contract. They got Kareem Jackson back. Now they've got three top flight cornerbacks, um, a fourth one in there as, as well as with Ronald Darby. And then, I mean, Michael Ojemudi is still, is still here as well. And he could develop into something and, and turn into a, a much better player than he was in his rookie season. And they also have a saying Bassey who was playing very well in the slot last year for him as well. So, I mean, this, the secondary has has all of the the key pieces that you need to be a top five unit, maybe even the best secondary in the league this year. Oh, indeed. Plus, they drafted two other promising safeties, which we'll get to later on in the program. But let's now proceed to the Broncos' second round pick. And just like his former team did in 2017 with Dalvin Cook, George Payton traded up a few spots in the second round to take a running back in Javante Williams from North Carolina. And uh, Pookie Williams was considered to be the best running back of this draft by Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield, two guys whose opinion I value very, very highly. And uh, Doug Farrar even compared him to Marshawn Lynch, for crying out loud. That's how physical mm-hmm. of a runner he is. And many believe you obviously shouldn't draft a running back of the draft until day three unless that back is an extra special talent, and I'm completely in that camp. But what makes Javante Williams such a talent, and do you see him eventually surpassing Melvin Gordon as the guy in the Broncos' backfield this season? Uh, to the to the second part of that question first, um, yeah, I do actually. I do think that uh, with Melvin Gordon and the fumbling issues, uh, Javante Williams has only fumbled four times in his college career. Uh, Melvin Gordon's uh, fumbled five times last year in the first ten games. So uh, yeah, that, I think that there's going to be a lot more Javante Williams, uh, especially towards the end of the season, um, than Melvin Gordon, as they're going to try to you know get as much as they as much as they can and develop him to be that running back of the future. But uh, to, to the first part of that. 
what makes him a special talent, Javante Williams, is uh, there's three things to me. And when I did my breakdown of him, I actually have a scouting report at milehighhuddle.com um, that published a while ago. Google that if you guys want to check that out later. Um, it's, his, it's his patience, his vision, and his balance as a runner. I mean, he is so patient. He presses the hole very well when, his, when they're running some outside stretch zone stuff. Um, and he does a really good job seeing where he needs to go and pressing that hole and then making his one uh, his one cut and going. That's the part of his vision. And then, I mean, he's he's got just incredible lower body strength. He's an incre- he's got incredible balance. Um, when he gets to the second level, he's a bowling ball man. He's just knocking everybody over. He does he always falls forward. Um, I have some issues with him in, in some short yarded situations because he do, he gets a little bit out over his over his skates a little bit too much, and he'll fall forward and he won't necessarily drive through the pile. So, I, but that also could have been a, a part of the North Carolina offensive line. But Javante Williams, the, just, it's just that that patience, the vision, um, his ability to to run after contact. He he led the nation, and it was not even close in uh, in broken tackles or, or forced miss tackles I think it was actually both of those statistics um in in the NCAA last season I think he set records as well for I know he set like the ACC record for most broken uh most broken tackles by any player in a single season so that's something that the Broncos the Broncos fans are really going to notice from him right off the bat is the fact that when he gets out into space he is not going down easily it's going to take two or three guys to get him to the ground uh, definitely could see the Marshawn Lynch comparison in your words there, Lance. And in the third round, the Broncos traded back twice and got both of the Saints' compensatory picks. They spent the second one of those picks on Ohio State linebacker Baron Browning. And Baron Browning is a guy that was viewed much highly on draft Twitter compared to the NFL. And one of the reasons why the NFL was much lower on him than those of us on draft Twitter was in large part due to the fact because of the uncertainty of what position to play him at. Uh, that was one of the reasons why Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa fell as far as he did as well. And while the Broncos intend to try him out first at inside linebacker, some think he could be a very, very good pass rusher off the edge. And uh, with Von Miller entering the final year of a contract, that is an underrated way you can use Baron Browning. But at which spot do you believe is Baron Browning's best possible bet for long-term success in the NFL? Well, I agree with Vic Fangio on this one. We're gonna we're gonna use him everywhere. It's kind of like that Pat Sertan deal. They're gonna use him off the edge a little bit, but really, I think that the best spot for him is inside linebacker. He showed the best tape that that I saw of him at Ohio State uh, playing at the at the off ball linebacker, inside linebacker position, um, as and doing kind of the same thing that Alexander Johnson does for the Broncos right now, uh, plugging the a gaps as a as a read and react uh, downhill kind of a player. He has the athletic ability to turn and run in coverage, so I think that there's some versatility there with him as well. But I don't think that in Vic Fangio. Scheme, he's going to be the best edge rusher. He's not a 3-4 outside linebacker like that. He's more like a Sam linebacker. So go back to the Broncos with Von Miller when they had Jack Del Rio as their defensive coordinator. They ran a 4-3 over front with the Sam linebacker Von Miller coming off the edge in a stand-up position, but they also use him as a drop-back and coverage kind of a player. I think that that's the best role for, uh, for Baron Browning. Either that or being that inside linebacker in the Alexander Johnson role where he's, he's like I said, he's uh, coming downhill and, and plugging the A-gaps in, 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 uh, in the running game. Um, they're using him as a blitzer in the, in the passing game as well. So I think that in Vic Fangio's defense, that's where I would play him at. And then uh, hopefully you can get just a little bit more versatility coming off the edge uh, as, as, he, as he matures because they're, they're, he's, still, he's still pretty raw there. He's got the good athleticism. He, he bends around pretty well, but there's, there's not a whole lot to work with him uh, with that right now because – his technique isn't refined nearly enough. His hands aren't aren't quite as powerful as they need to be. Got to build up some strength. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, you can you can use him everywhere. But his best role for me is that uh, that off ball linebacker. Uh, yes, said. Would you be surprised if he ended up starting some games late in the season? 
Uh, no, honestly, I wouldn't. Um, and he might actually end up starting some games over Josie Jewell as well. Um, I, I think that uh, he's got that verse. Like I said, he's got that versatility to turn and run with guys if he absolutely has to. And he's a much better athlete than Josie Jewell is. It really wouldn't also surprise me to see Justin Sternod, the Broncos, I think it was a fifth round pick from last year out of Wake Forest, um, come in and, and, and steal some snaps as well um, as a coverage linebacker, because that's what he was at Wake Forest was that that kind of hybrid safety uh, coverage linebacker played at 235 pounds. So a little bit bigger than um, than your, your your typical safety and a little bit smaller than your typical linebacker. So we'll, we'll see how that actually translates out at the, at the next level. And we'll see what happens there, but it would not surprise me to see either one of those two players um, coming in and stealing some snaps away from Josie Jewell. And now on to the Los Angeles chargers and a lot of hope surrounding that organization, given the emergence of Justin Herbert last season and a very impressive draft haul. And they started out their draft with two steals in my opinion and the first of those two steals was when Rashawn Slater fell into their lap at 13 overall I personally believe that one of the reasons why he fell is that many if not most in the NFL see him as a better fit at guard than at tackle and Daniel Jeremiah also said he would be a Zach Martin all pro level kind of player inside but that said his responsibility from the start will be protecting the blind side of Justin Herbert at that left tackle position how good or great can Rashawn Slater be at tackle for the Chargers I think he's. I think he. The, there's some teams out there that thought he was the best tackle in the draft over over Penny Sewell. And I think. Um. I think the better way to put that, and this was my. These, these are my words, not somebody else's. But the better way to put it is he was the best offensive lineman. Period. In the draft. And so, as far as playing at left tackle, I think that that's probably one of the best fits. He, he fits uh, Joe Lombardi's scheme very well. He's an, an incredible mover, incredibly powerful kind of a player. Um. Good pass sets as well. He can play any position you want him to, but specifically at left tackle, I think he's he's going to be. A, a, a tremendous blindside pass protector for, for Justin Herbert. He's going to uh, solidify that offensive line immediately. I, I really do think that that was one of the biggest weaknesses that they had on that roster is the left tackle position, and they just figured it out for the next 10 years. Yeah, and you bring up a good point with Joe Lombardi. He comes from the Saints, I believe, and the Saints had a left tackle uh, named uh, Taron Armstead who made a Pro Bowl or two, I believe, in recent years. And, uh, and uh, Taron Armstead was the comparison for Rashad Slater that Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield came up with. So there's definitely some parallels there. Yeah, absolutely, man. And like, like I said, uh, so when you think Taron Armstead, um, the the athleticism really pops off the screen. That's that's something else you notice with Rashawn Slater is his footwork is clean. He's incredibly athletic. He moves around so well. When he gets his hands on you, he doesn't let go. I mean, he is just a he's a bully, um, badass football player, guys. And Rashawn Slater is going to be really fun to watch. And I, I know that sounds crazy as a Broncos fan to to say that it's going to be really fun to watch another uh, one of our division rivals have a player that that plays very well. But I just like watching good football and Rashawn. Play, is it Rashawn Slater? He just plays good football. Yes, and uh, I happen to be from the same town that Rashawn Slater played his college ball at in Evanston, Illinois, and we're all so very proud of Rashawn and what he is going to do at the National Football League blocking for a guy who should be a top-five quarterback by the end of uh, this season. And in the second round at 47 overall, the Chargers perhaps got arguably an even bigger steal with Asante Samuel Jr. He is arguably a spitting image of his all-pro father, Asante Sr., with his impressive ball skills, his physicality, and his click-to-close ability. And when you look at those skills, he's arguably the most tailor-made quarterback for Brandon Staley's defense, which is obviously uh, pretty much the same as the Vic Fangio defense, Brandon Staley being a disciple of Vic Fangio. Just how special can Asante Samuel Jr. be in this system? 
he can be really special. He really can. I think he's a little bit better in, in man situations and zone situations, but I mean, you can learn that you can teach that at the next level. And he's got all of the, 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 he's, he hits pretty much every intangible you want. He's got the requisite athleticism. His hips are incredibly, incredibly fluid. Um, he does a really good job turning, run and mirroring in man coverage when he does get there, but it's just not his best, uh, or in, uh, yeah, in, in man coverage, which is probably his best fit. But as far as playing off zone, um, where he's going to, the, the one thing, and you, you actually alluded to it is this click and close ability. The fact that he gets his foot down, foot in the dirt and he drives on the football so well vertically uh, is very amazing. I think he can be incredibly special. I thought that he was a, a good fit for the Broncos as well. But as you just said, Brandon Staley runs that that same match quarters defense that Vic Fangio does. So we'll we'll see how it, we'll see how it all plays out for him. And that again, that secondary for the Chargers is getting pretty stacked up too. Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, Derwin James, uh, please let him stay healthy, football guys. We missed Walsh can play these past two years. If he yep. can stay healthy, you have him. You got Asante Samuel Jr., uh, Mike Davis, Chris Harris Jr. He's obviously not the player he once was, but he still could play at an above-average level. Keep him in the slot. And uh, Nasir Adderley, who I believe yep. will start at that other safety position. Are the Chargers a sleeper for a top-five secondary this year? I mean, they could be. They really could be, especially if, if that's, uh, that Brandon Staley system clicks in their heads as, as quickly as it can. I mean, it, it, it's it's a very difficult, very complex system to learn, you know, but the, the Los Angeles Rams with, with Brandon Staley as their, their defensive coordinator last year, they, they made it work pretty well. So, I mean, if, if he can teach it a little bit faster and a little bit better than Vic Fangio is doing and connect with these younger players a little bit easier than Vic's doing right now, I mean, it, it's not hard to see that that, that Chargers defense couldn't be a, a really decent unit, especially because they've got Joey Bosa up front, man, and they got Jerry Tillery as well. So they they got some horses that can go and get after the quarterback and make it a lot easier. I mean, it, forcing turnovers the easiest way to do that is with pass pressure, guys. I mean, it's that's just plain and simple. So if you've got a if you got a Joey Bosa that's coming around the edge and, and forcing these these quarterbacks to make uh, make ba- bad decisions with the football, um, maybe throw a little bit uh, out of out of timing, out of rhythm, and whatnot. The the Chargers have some guys that can take the football away, and they could be a really good defense too. Absolutely, but uh, back to Sante Samuel Jr. for a moment. Uh, the only uh, knock on him, I believe, and probably why he slid to the second round is because of his sight. He's like a 5'10", 5'11", he's under 6 feet tall. And uh, Do you think he could be as good as a boundary corner and as well as a slot corner despite that height? Well, I mean, the, the 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 better example there is they've already got him, Chris Harris Jr. I mean, he's not necessarily the biggest guy, but he plays very well in the slot, and he can play on the boundary. He's probably better suited to play in the slot, which is again probably worth with Asante Samuel Jr. I would I would have him playing in the slot more than uh, playing on the boundary, just because you do have that size concerns. You get him up against a bigger, more physical receiver, um, I think that he's going to have some problems. You, you want him to you want him with that that athleticism and the click and close ability, his hip fluidity. You want him with some smaller, quicker guys. So the the easiest way to do that is. Keep Keep him on the in, uh, keep him on the inside of the of the field and keep him in the slot. So um, if, if he does play on the boundary, I think he has the goods that he can kind of hang up, but it's not going to be his best fit. And uh, in the third round, the Chargers addressed uh, the weaponry for Justin Herbert, and with the first of their two third round picks, they picked wide receiver Josh Palmer of Tennessee. And uh, Eric Galco, the uh, new director of the East-West Shrine Game, considered Josh Palmer as a top 10 wide receiver talent in this draft. And uh, your Mile High Huddle colleague Eric Trickle was also a big fan of Josh Palmer's, I believe. Do you see Josh Palmer becoming the Chargers' third wide receiver in 11 personnel packages with the Keenan Allen and Mike Williams at some point this season? I think he can. Um, it, it's, 
Josh Palmer was an interesting study for me because he, did, he didn't necessarily have that slot versatility. He's more of a boundary a boundary wide receiver and a deep threat. So they already got that kind of a guy in Mike Williams. It wouldn't surprise me to see Palmer take some take some time away from Mike Williams, though. Like, honestly, I, I you could probably play him as a, as a big slot wide receiver, but that's not his best role. So, um, it, yeah, it, it was it was actually kind of a surprise to me to see Josh Palmer go in the third round. I thought he was I thought he was a, a surefire day three kind of a guy, maybe fifth, sixth rounder. I thought it was a little bit of a reach by the Chargers to go and get him. But you know what? Hey, I. I, I hate saying that because I also do believe in the the go and get your guy. Like you identified your guy, go and get him. If that's the one, if that's the guy that you think is going to add to your uh, offense the best in, in Josh Palmer, then by all means, go get your guy. The Chargers did that, so I have to applaud him for it. Uh, I do as well. And also, uh, you mentioned Mike Williams. This, I believe, is the final year of Mike Williams' rookie yep. contract. If the Chargers uh, decide not to uh, re-sign Mike Williams uh, for some reason, can you see Josh Palmer eventually replacing Mike Williams in 2022 if that comes to pass? No, absolutely. I, I think that's I think that's kind of the move here. I think that's what they were doing was they were like, you know what, we're going to have to push Mike Williams to be a little bit more consistent. So we're going to go out and get a guy that has kind of the same skill set, um, not quite as a big bodied receiver as uh, Mike Williams is. And that catch radius that Mike Williams has is just absolutely ridiculous. That was, I mean, he it, throw it in the area of an elephant and he will go in and somehow make the catch. Like, seriously, that guy has a, a, a catch radius of a trampoline. And Josh Palmer, maybe not quite that good as far as a, a acrobatic catch kind of a guy, but he'll take the top off. He'll go make some contested catches, and, and he could be that replacement for Mike Williams if if that's what if that's the way that the Chargers want to go. And I think that's kind of the, their thinking behind taking him. And now on to the Las Vegas Raiders, and uh, some people still say Oakland Raiders, and understandably so. It's going to take a while for us to say uh, Las Vegas Raiders or get used to saying that, so to speak. And uh, several people, myself included, accused the Raiders of a massive reach with their selection of Alabama offensive tackle Alex Letterwood with that 17th overall pick. However, most of us thought they reached on Colton Miller in 2018, and now Miller is an above-average NFL left tackle who just got handsomely rewarded with a big extension. And as flawed as Alex Letterwood may be, he is far more polished coming into the NFL than Colton Miller was. Do you think Alex Letterwood proves those naysayers wrong as well? I kind of do, actually. I liked Alex Leatherwood. I liked the versatility with him because he started at guard at Alabama, but before he started playing left tackle, and then he moved outside. He showed he had the athleticism and the good length that every that you. I mean, that's one of the biggest things you see when you pop when uh, when you watch it. it. The length pops. He's got incredibly long arms and he moves very well. So. I don't think these. Uh, obviously, they're not going to put him at left tackle. They're probably going to switch him over to the right side, which is, I mean, it's. Uh, I don't know yeah, necessarily how to put this a nice way. It's it's it's, it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot harder to do than people think, you know. And yeah, it and uh, it, it's 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 something that I'm. Um, I mean, it's like wiping your butt with the wrong hand, you know, or something like that. Like that's about the only way that I can think of that actually saying. It's just an awkward transition that you got to kind of um, you, you got to overcome. But with Alex Leatherwood, I think that he has that ability. And now the the thing about the massive reach here, and I've actually talked with uh, with Eric Trickle and some of the the guys that he talks to um that i can't remember who was picking 26th overall uh, uh the they browns. were actually on, the browns the browns okay so uh, that so it was uh, before the browns the 25th overall something like that uh, there was there was a team in the in the 20s that was actually looking at at, at, at alex leatherwood so um he wouldn't have been around with the raiders next pick i mean they could have tried to trade down but nobody was really looking to do that so um it, that's another one of those things you identified your guy you want to make sure that you secure him take him where you're at Yes, and uh, the transition from left tackle to right tackle is uh, much harder than most people think indeed, but Alex Thunderwood has right tackle experience at Alabama, for crying out yep. loud. So, yes, he uh, does. So uh, that should uh, help him in that, that transition. 
Yeah, and I, again, like he's 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 the damn good football player. There's nothing wrong with the talent. He may not have been like people may not have thought that he was uh, the best pick there. They probably could have went with Christian Derisaw there, and and maybe people would have had a better taste in their mouth. But I think Derisaw is a left tackle only. Uh, he's he's not a guy that has that versatility for you. At least Alex Leatherwood does have that versatility, and the and the Raiders are right now they're in the middle of completely overhauling that offensive line. I mean they they just traded away Rodney Hudson, traded away Gabe Jackson, traded away Trent Brown. The whole right side of their offense line is now gone so what what do you want them to do they got to go get a guy that can fit in at least in a couple of different places they brought back richie incognito but he's going to play left guard so i mean leatherwood can play the right tackle he can play the right guard if they absolutely need him to so i mean versatility is something that i value highly with my with when uh, in my evaluations so for to get a guy that has position versatility can play three or four different offensive line positions kind of like the rashawn slater pick for the chargers i mean you, you can't really knock it. it it might not be the best value but it's still a good pick Oh, absolutely, and uh, I first thought it was a reach, but I have definitely warmed to the pick. Uh, even before we did this podcast today, I totally came to understand the pick uh, in the days and weeks uh, following the draft, and uh, if you actually flip the Raiders' first and second round picks, their draft class would probably not have been as pan as it was. They moved up five spots in the second round to take TCU safety Trayvon Merrick, who many on draft Twitter considered the best safety of this class because of his natural instincts and ball skills. How much better does Trayvon Merrick alone make this Raiders' defense, which has been absolutely atrocious in recent years? I don't know about better by himself, but uh, it, it makes him better for sure because uh, Trevon Merrick, he has the, uh, the probably the best range of any safety in this class. I mean, he's uh, he's a prototypical single high safety, which fits exactly with what uh, with what Gus Bradley wants to do. Who is he's I mean, he's the famous for being the architect of the uh, the Legion of Boom or one of the architects of the Legion of Boom with Dan Quinn that that cover three defense. So uh, Trevon Merrick being that rangy kind of a guy, that's that's their Earl Thomas now. That's that's who they got in Trevon Merrick, and I think he has the ability to do that. He takes some takes some unnecessary risks at time and really has a problem with the double move, um, and doesn't necessarily mirror the best in in man coverage. But if you let him let him go out there, be that single high ball hawk, and just say go take the football away, that's a great fit for what the Raiders need. Man, I love Trevon Merrick. I had him in safety too. Richie Grant was my top safety um, in the class, but Merrick was number two, and uh, he also brings some special teams versatility as a, as a guy that can go and and catch some punts. He had a couple punt return touchdowns for the for the TCU Horn Frogs. Uh, I think there was one um, in his in his sophomore year that was like 85 yards. It just it, he's an amazing player. So uh, I mean, I, I love the pick there. And like you said, if they if they had taken him uh, maybe in the uh, if they traded down and got him at 25, 26, 27, and somewhere in that range, it would have been a it would have been a heady pick for them. And then try to figure out a way to get Leatherwood a little bit later. But I mean, it, their top two picks, I like them a lot. They they might not be exactly the way that everyone thought it should have went. I mean, they, like I said, you could have went Darisaw. You could have uh, not traded up five uh, five picks to go and get Trevon Merrick. But still, they got two high-quality football players that are going to fit in nicely. They sure did. And now on to the uh, Kansas City Chiefs, the team that uh, just shows no sign of slowing down even after that crushing Super Bowl loss. And the changes that the Chiefs have made to that offensive line after that Super Bowl debacle have been nothing short of staggering. And they made two key additions to the draft by trading their first-round pick to land Orlando Brown Jr., who will play left tackle, and drafting Creed Humphrey, arguably the best pure center in this draft, with one of their two second-round picks. And when you look at this renovated line, you've got Brown at left tackle, Joe Tooney, who they signed to that big contract at free agency, plus either Kyle Long or Laurent Duvernay-Tardif at the guards, Humphrey at center, and either Mike Remmers or Lucas Niang at right tackle. And uh, Lewis Riddick of ESPN suggested that 2021 could be the best year of Patrick, Patrick Mahomes' career if the offensive line looks as good as it does on paper. Do you agree? 
Well, if he continues uh, to be on this meteoric ascension that that he's on here lately, I mean, I don't know how it could not be considered the greatest the greatest year of his career, especially if he actually has some protection in front of him. Now, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, with uh, with Joe Tooney and Kyle Long and uh, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, I mean, that's that's a pretty decent rotation at, at, on the interior of the offensive line. They're gonna they're gonna take off some of the the pressure of the rookie Creed Humphrey at center, you know. So that's gonna help out a lot. But Kyle Long hasn't played football in two years, man. L Laurent Duvernay Tardif, he opted out last year because he's a he's a doctor and he yep. went to go and work with the with the coronavirus efforts and and trying to. Uh, help out with as much as he could in that aspect. So he hasn't played football in over a year as well. Um, I'm just not sure exactly how that competition is going to play out. And then Lucas Niang, this is the interesting one here because I know that the chiefs are really high on Lucas Niang. They drafted him, even though he had some knee and hip issues when he was at back at TCU. Um, but they thought that he was an incredible, incredibly gifted left tackle. They're going to slide him over to the right side, and make him compete with Mike Remmers, who we all know is the hind end of several <laughs> Von Miller jokes for his performance in Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl 50 back in 2015. So so I like that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out and how it shakes out. But if you go off of the ceiling projection of each one of these players, that offensive line is going to be nasty. And you give Patrick Mahomes some time to stand back and, and scan the field and get the, get the ball out to his, uh, to his playmakers and, and Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey. Uh, they went out and actually got a, a, a bomb for you here in uh, Cornell Powell. We'll get to him here in just a few minutes. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, if, if that, if it does come to pass and Mahomes has protection, watch out. This team's going to be dangerous again. Yes, and with their other second-round pick, the Chiefs uh, went just up the road and took Missouri linebacker Nick Bolton. And although he isn't necessarily the best in coverage or athletically, many top analysts still believe that he's a three-down player. What does Nick Bolton have that helps him overcome whatever limitations he has in coverage? physicality just plain and simple that guy hits like a freight train he's a Mack truck coming downhill and he's gonna he, so for Broncos fans and for uh fans of any other team that kind of pay attention to the Broncos um it, like think about it with uh with uh, Alexander Johnson what he does best is plugging the a gaps and running downhill you can you can stay on the field doing that especially if you have the blitz versatility to go and rush the passer which uh the Broncos did with Alexander Johnson at a high uh, a high number I mean it was literally the most of any inside linebacker blitzing as a uh, coming downhill as a blitzer in uh in uh, in passing situations so nick bolton has that kind of versatility he's not going to be a guy that's going to turn and run in coverage even though he can um it, it's not the, the most the biggest athlete is really really stiff and he's got incredibly short arms i do the t-rex but i mean if it if you can figure out a way to keep him on the field which i mean if you if you have him as a blitzer and a pass rusher then i mean why not and now it's time to play one of our favorite games on the show. It's called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I'm going to read a statement about one of the uh, AFC West uh, draftees that we haven't discussed yet. And you tell me whether it's a truth or exaggeration and explain why. Starting with the Broncos. The gut, Quinn Miners, has a better chance than many think of beating out Lloyd Cushenberry for the Broncos starting center job or even Dalton Reiser for the starting left guard spot. Truth or Exaggeration. Uh, I'm going to say both on that one. I'm going to say truth that he has a better ch chance at beating out Lloyd Cushenberry and it's an exaggeration. He's going to beat out uh, Dalton Reisner. I think that Quinn Miners, the best, the best opportunity for him to get on the field is playing that center position where, I mean, it, something that was said about Lloyd Cushenberry last year was that he was soft as a player and he wasn't necessarily the most aggressive uh, offensive lineman out on the field at times. And that he does, I mean, it was very obvious and plain to see that he didn't have the uh, uh, functional strength to, to play against bigger defensive linemen who were just just getting up underneath him, playing with better leverage, and dumping him back in Drew Locke's lap. 
Quinn Miners is not that guy, man. I mean, we're talking about a guy that goes out and starts pushing trees down over for his workouts. He's carrying around <laughs> yeah. a freaking 200-pound propane tank that he's running up the stairs with, and just he's, this guy's a monster. You watch him out there. They should they call him the gut and the belly of the beast. They need to call him pancakes because that's what he does to defensive <laughs> players out on the boundary. I mean, seriously, you, you watch him come around. He's athletic. He's incredibly mobile. He'll, he'll run right up in, into you and just blow you apart. So I think that it's a better opportunity for him to win the center job than it is to for him to, to move out uh, Dalton Reisner. But if uh, there is also another path there for him as well, it's not necessarily defeating Graham Glasgow. It's Graham Glasgow defeating Lloyd Cushenberry and Quinn Miners playing right guard. Uh, very interesting there. Something to watch in Broncos trading camp. And moving on to the Chargers, Chris Rumpf, the Chargers' fourth-round draft pick, will be the starting edge opposite Joey Bosa in 2022. Truth or exaggeration? Probably a truth. I just don't know what they have on the other side of that. And quite honestly, I didn't really uh, get enough time to uh, really break down Chris Rump, so I'm not going to speak to him very much. But with that, without them having Melvin Ingram anymore, who they let uh, walk out in free agency, and I feel I see, think he's still unsigned right now. Um, so he might be able to come back, but still. Um, yeah, they just don't have a whole lot of options over there. And without diving through their roster, which I haven't had time to actually be able to do, um, I'm not going to really speak on that. So I would say there's some truth to that, but I just don't know for, cer for certain. And moving on to the Raiders, Malcolm Kuntz will carve out a sizable role for himself on passing downs this season, even with Yannick Ngakwe on board. Truth or exaggeration? That's exaggeration, man. This was the worst pick in the draft, and well, actually, the second worst pick of the of the Raiders draft. But it was one of the worst picks in the in the uh, third round for the for the entire NFL draft. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz out of Buffalo, he was a day three guy for sure. I thought that there was even potential possibility of him going undrafted. Um, he's not the biggest guy, doesn't bend very well, not the most athletic guy. He's got some length, plays with leverage, but at the same time, he's just not. Uh, he's he's more developmental than immediate impact kind of a guy. And now that they have Yannick and uh, Cleveland Farrell might potentially that might potentially be able to uh, to rush the passer just a little bit. They slide him inside a little bit. Um, and then Max Crosby on the other side, who's just absolutely spectacular. I have nothing but praise for, for Max Crosby. So Kuntz uh, carving out a sizable role this year, probably a bit of an exaggeration. And last but not least, the Kansas City Chiefs. In 2022, Cornell Powell, who you just mentioned, will become the third option in the Chiefs passing attack behind Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Truth or exaggeration? That's Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. They just, they, they, they uh, I, I don't believe they got Sammy Watkins back. I think he's gone. Um, I, I know they got Demarcus Robinson back, but he's just so inconsistent because he's not that necessarily a lead of a player. And then Nicole Hardman, I mean, he's, he's all right, but it, it, like he's even more gadgety than Tyreek Hill is. I think Cornell Powell has a, a really good chance to be a wide receiver number two for this team. I loved that pick for the Chiefs um, and the rich get richer there because even though, I, I mean, I'm not super huge on Demarcus Robinson or, or uh, Nicole Hardman, they're still pretty decent football players and they're explosive and Cornell Powell brings a little bit of a dynamic that neither one of those two guys have with uh, with being a possession receiver over the middle of the field. So um, I, I love it. I love this pick for, for the Chiefs uh, 100%. So yes, I, I think that there is some truth to that. He is Lance Sanderson, ladies and gentlemen, at milehighhuddle.com. Follow him on Twitter at SandersonMHH. Lance, it was such a pleasure having you on today, but uh, before we let you go, it's time to play another game called Absolutes. And in this game, uh, you're going to pick your absolute favorite, most puzzling pick, best steal, yada, 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 of this 2021 NFL draft in the AFC West, starting with your favorite pick in the entire AFC West. 
Ooh, my favorite pick in the entire AFC West, probably Rashawn Slater. Honestly, uh, that's a steal. He was a top 10 player, top 10 player on my board. Uh, offensive lineman, number one for me. Offensive tackle, number two behind Sewell. Um, but uh, still, the, the fact that the Chargers got to sit, wait patiently, still get their guy, um, that one is probably my most favorite one. What about most puzzling pick? Malcolm Koontz, man. Malcolm Koontz to the Raiders. I just got done talking about it. He was That, that was an incredibly, incredibly bad reach by the Raiders there. And I know I, I keep saying, hey, identify your guy and go get him. They could have waited for another three rounds before they even thought about taking Malcolm Koontz. And that's that was exactly the, the biggest, uh, the most puzzling pick for sure. Uh, who was the biggest steal in the AFC West on day three of the draft? Oh, Jamar Johnson. Jamar Johnson, the safety from Indiana going to the Denver Broncos. What a scheme fit. I mean, he's, he, he's that prototypical um, split field safety has some range to play the single high if you need him to not the best tackler, but he still is physical. He likes to go and hit some people. He just needs to work on that tackling form, bring his arms wrap up a little bit better. Um, it, but I, I had him as a, a second round pick. So to have him fall all the way to the, to the tail end of the fifth round for the Broncos. I mean, man, that's a huge steal, huge value. And it fits a huge need for the Broncos too, because that safety depth behind Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons was not very good. Uh, yes. And, uh, do you think Jamar Johnson can replace Kareem Jackson in 2022? I think the, uh, I think that's definitely a possibility. Watch out for Caden Stearns though. He's, he brings a little bit more physicality and they like to rotate Kareem Jackson down into the box a little bit more and play him in the slot. Um, there's been rumors and whispers going around that they have been um, kind of grooming uh, Caden Stearns a little bit to play some slot cornerback as well. I don't see that. But Caden Stearns projects as a better fit for uh, what uh, Kareem Jackson brings to the Broncos defense. Whereas if they're going to throw um, Jamar Johnson on, they're going to have him in the deep half and uh, let him go take some football away. Uh, footballs away. He has high <laughs> ball production and stuff like that. So I, I like the fact that he can go and have that range and and play on the in the in the deep half shell and and go pick somebody off. I mean, he had a huge interception against Justin Fields in that Ohio State game where he rotated like 25 yards and made a made a just incredible interception and re almost returned it for a touchdown. So um, if it's me, I'm rotating Caden Stearns down into that Kareem Jackson role and having uh, Jamar Johnson play in the, in the, in the deep half. And uh, since uh, your day three steal was Jamar Johnson to the Broncos, who are your best day three picks for the Chargers, Raiders, and Chiefs? All right. So let me pull this up really fast. I actually have it all typed out. Uh, for the Chargers, I wasn't necessarily impressed with their day three. I like Nick Neiman from Iowa. Um, not really the best coverage linebacker, but he still has that ability to do that. Larry Roundtree, the third, the running back from Missouri, was a was an intriguing pick to me. Um, they needed to add some running back depth for sure, and he, he's going to be – I mean, he's not a true three-down runner, I don't think. Um, he's not the, the best receiver out of the backfield. So, um, But they, they already have a really good receiver out of the backfield in Austin Eckler, who might be one of the – it might be the top receiving back in the NFL. So I like Larry Roundtree. He's a good comp complementary skill set for what the for, for what the Chargers need so that one would probably be my most favorite day three pick for those guys um the Raiders they've uh, man they after day one and two they really fell off the deep end I mean I like Divine Diablo from Virginia Tech but they already got that guy in um in Jonathan Abrams yeah like why are they already have that box safety they, the safety hybrid linebacker kind of a player and Diablo in round three that was not good value they could have waited another two to, I mean another two rounds before going and getting him um Tyree Gillespie I guess is the one that I like the most the other safety out of Missouri but what are they doing here I mean they they, they take three safeties in this class they already have Jonathan Abrams 
Abrams, and none of them complement each other except for Merrick. So it's it was just very very interesting to me. And I want to do throw one big credit to my uh, podcast co-host Eric Trickle on this one. We were talking uh, as the draft was ongoing about Nate Hobbs, that cornerback from Illinois that the Raiders took in in uh, the fifth round. Eric had him as the third worst player that he graded, and the worst cornerback. Wow. Yep. Eric had him as the third worst player in the in the entire draft that he graded and the worst cornerback on the board. And uh, as an undrafted free agent, he wouldn't even have made him a priority signing. So that's how big of a reach that could potentially be um, if you follow my uh, my podcast partner, uh, Eric Trickle, over at milehighhuddle.com. Um, now, for the, the Chiefs, I already alluded to it just a, just a second ago. Cornell Powell, man, it, what, like I said, he brings that, that versatile skill set that the Chiefs don't have right now and a, a valuable possession receiver over the middle of the field. Uh, he's not going to beat you with it. He's, he's going to run great routes, but he's not going to beat you athletically. He's just going to get himself open, create some separation because he runs such incredibly good routes. He catches everything thrown his way, destroyed the senior bowl earlier this year. So uh, the complimentary skill set that, that he brings to this Raiders team or the, the Chiefs team, excuse me, is uh, is something that I, I, I really like that one a lot. And the fact that uh, John Gruden and Mike Mayock selected the third worst player on Eric Trickle's board uh, on day three Kind of suggests that uh, Mike Mayock uh, could be on his way out the door after this season, so to speak. Just another breadcrumb of evidence. A minor breadcrumb, but we'll consider it a breadcrumb nonetheless because uh, your partner Eric Trickle is such a good guy, and I encourage everybody uh, to follow Eric's work as well. Who will be the best offensive rookie in the AFC West in 2021? Javante Williams, I would imagine. I mean, it, just the skill set that he has, the offensive line in front of uh, in front of him, and the fact that Pat Shermer wants to be a, a heavy run the football kind of a guy. I mean, he, he's that we talked about it. The patience, the vision, he fits in right away. He's going to get. I mean, he's going to get probably. 10, 12 touches a game, and at that kind of a that kind of a clip, I think that he could be the the most productive offensive rookie in the AFC West, at least. Um, shout out, hat tip to Cornell Palo here as well. Uh, yes, and uh, speaking of uh, Pat Sherber and the Broncos uh, running the ball, does it kind of seem like that George Payton is trying to? make the Broncos in the Vikings West uh, because like he kind of sees like uh, Javante Williams as uh, his uh, Dalvin Cook will be the focal point of the offense, at least for now, and uh, building a uh, super deep uh, defense on both the front and back ends. I mean, it, it, it very well could be. I mean, it, and that formula has worked for, for the Vikings. They've been to the playoffs multiple times over the over the last, what, 15, 20 years. They've done it with bad quarterback play, with good quarterback play, uh, running the football extensively and heavily with behind. I mean, they had Adrian Peterson there for a while. They, uh, did, did he not exist? I mean, he's only one of the best running backs in, in NFL history. And now they got a really another really good one in Dalvin Cook. They've got a, a handful of good weapons. Uh, I mean, uh, Justin Jefferson is spectacular. They, they have... Adam Thielen there as well. Um, Irv Smith Jr. at tight end. I mean, their offensive line needs some work, but still, I mean, Kirk Cousins is playing at a pretty decent level. Their defense is, is built up. They got to rebuild that secondary a little bit. But I, I mean, as far as for the Broncos right now and um, how their vision is kind of very similar to that Minnesota Vikings, I agree with that. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea. Yes, but uh, hopefully for the Broncos' sake, they um, uh, make up for the decision to pass on Justin Fields in the uh, very, very uh, near future. And last but not least in our game of absolutes, the best defensive rookie in the AFC West in 2021. Can you think of anybody not named Pat Sertan for this honor? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's going to be a tough one. I mean, I'm looking through all the picks that everybody had. Uh, 
hat tip to Baron Browning, maybe. Um, another steal for the Broncos here. Kerry Vincent Jr., that's another one that I really liked. But I'm going to go with Trevon Merrick here because I think that there's a role for him to, to, to carve out a niche in that Gus Bradley defense right away as that single high safety. So let's see Let's see what the uh, – I'll give the, the safety from TCU the hat tip on this one. Thank you very much, Lance. And that's it for today here on Sports Crush. But we'll be back in the coming days with more draft class recaps, so stay tuned. But in the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrutch.com. And remember, that is Crutch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Lance. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 for Lad Sanderson, this is David Cromo saying so long, and as usual, if you're fully vaccinated, you do not have to wear a mask at all, so please get whatever COVID-19 vaccine is available to you right now, so if you want to fill up all the NFL stadiums and NCAA stadiums in this country in the fall, please get vaccinated right now so we can enjoy a fully normal football season. Thank you very much, everybody. Take care. Take care.